Good morning. We're going to look this morning at Revelation chapter 3. Seven letters to seven churches. And uh, we're looking this morning at the church in Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow. Not so good. Not so good. Almost nothing good to say. You have a few people who haven't soiled their clothes. I think that's the, the nearest you get to a commendation, to a well done. And as usual, I'm not going to dig deeper in this sermon. I will post that on Wednesday and we'll look at Sardis in detail. But I want to just focus in on a couple of verses. They're the early verses. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. You have a reputation. When I um, read that, I, I suddenly thought reputation. Reputation. I have a reputation. You have a reputation. We all have a reputation. And I've defined it as this. It's, it's a kind of an agreed assessment by others as to your character or your ability or your conduct. In other words, first of all, a reputation is about assessment. It's an evaluation. It's a generalization. It's a, an approximation. Sorry for the long words. For example, the word reputation 
from that you get the word reputed. He's reputed to be worth £150 million. Now that's what he's reputed to be worth. It doesn't mean he is worth that. He might be worth a lot less than that. He might be worth a lot more than that. But he's reputed to have £150 million in the bank. So a reputation... is at best an estimate, at worst a guesstimate, or a rumour. So that's the first thing, an agreed assessment by others. So your reputation may be from your colleagues at work. You may have a reputation in your workplace. You certainly have one now, Tracy. You might have a reputation amongst your friends. You have a reputation within your family. Um, you have a reputation in this place, I guess. So it's a, an assessment. It's by others. And reputations are usually targeted in different ways your character your ability your conduct so you may have a reputation for being really efficient at your work that's about ability you may have a reputation sandra for being a very useful keyboard player that would be about ability but the reputation might equally well be about conduct might be about your timekeeping uh, might be about your teachability it might be about your character that person has a reputation for dishonesty wow so that's reputation and um, what we would want to say is reputation, your reputation, my reputation in the sight of others can be very important. It can be very important, but it can be very wrong. Mm. Yeah. Very important, but very wrong. In this letter, the reputation is very wrong. You have, says Jesus, you have a reputation of being alive. Who gave that reputation? Maybe the congregation are saying, you know, this church, we're an all singing, all dancing, all ministering church. We're like doing the business. These other churches out there, they're not doing the business. We're doing the business. So we give ourselves a reputation amongst us. Or it may be other churches saying, that church, that's a happening church. That's a growing church. It might even be the neighbours, the community. That's a great church. You know, they do, a, they do a food bank Tuesday night, Thursday night. They do sleeping over for the homeless 
they've got a youth work, they've got this, they've got that. It's a, it's a great church. Reputation for being alive. But the guy, uh, no, sorry, the one, not the guy. <laughs> the one who is speaking here is Jesus. He's saying, I know. That's different from a reputation. I know. I know, and I know that you've got a reputation, but the reputation is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because I know. I am the one with eyes of blazing fire, remember? I see, I know. Now, how does he introduce himself in this one? I hold the seven spirits of God in my hand. The seven spirits of God is the Holy Spirit. But because it's revelation, it's described as the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit of God. Seven is perfect. I hold the perfect Holy Spirit of God in my hands. He is the one that operates in the church. He is the one that gifts the church. He is the one that empowers the church. And I hold him in my hand so I know what's alive and what's not. I hold the sevenfold spirit in my hand. And I hold the seven stars, the messengers of the churches. I know all about church and I know you have a reputation for being alive. But believe me, brothers, sisters, you are dead. Later on, we'll come to a church called Laodicea. And the Lord says to them, you say you're rich, but you're poor. He's already spoken to Smyrna and he said, I know your poverty, but guess what, guys, you're rich. So can you see how reputation has its place, but it's not everything. It's what God says that's important. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits. Now, revelation, I said reputation can be important. When you are picking an elder in a church, when you are picking an overseer in a church, Paul says there's one criteria that you need to use amongst others. He must have a good reputation with outsiders. So the overseer, he or she, must have a good reputation with outsiders. They must think well of him. Why? Because if they don't think well of him, and he is representing the church, it speaks badly on the church. Now, their their, uh, the neighbor's assessment of the person may be wrong, but it does matter. It really matters. So if that was the case, I think what we would say is we can't appoint that person as an elder at the moment, but we know that that reputation, it's not entirely fair. So we need to help that brother or that sister to uh, express themselves differently so that people know. I don't know if I've still got this reputation, but you might know that I'm Scottish. 
And Scots people, generally speaking, have a certain dourness about them. They're a little bit kind of, uh, how would you say, Pam? Serious, a bit serious. And often when Pam was speaking to some people, they would say, you know, Ronnie hasn't really got much of a, a sense of humour. And Pam would say, oh, he does. He does have a sense of humour. It's just the way he behaves. It's just the way he carries himself. Now, that was because I'm Scottish. Maybe now that I've been living down here for decades, maybe I've lost a bit of that dourness. And you now know me as someone who has a sense of humour. But I do have a sense of humour. So people, I may have had a reputation of being very serious, very harsh, even very scary. Very scary. I've had that as well, Pam. Yes, Ronnie's a bit scary. But it's not all there is to me. And if you knew me better, you would maybe have a different understanding. That's true of us all, isn't it? However, reputation does matter. But if there's anything I say that I want you to remember, it's the next three sentences. I will not be defined by my reputation. I will not be defined by my reputation. Secondly, I will not be consumed by my reputation. That person who is obsessed about what everybody else thinks of them. I will not be consumed by others' reputation of me. And thirdly, I will not be directed by reputation. Paul has to go in heavy to the church in Galatia. He says, I am astonished that you are preaching a different gospel from the one I gave to you. And he knows by saying this, he may now become very unpopular. So he says this, am I here to please men? No, I'm not here to please men. There's someone who is not, who is not obsessed about his reputation. He's saying, my integrity comes before my integritation. My reputation. My in did I make up a word there? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Well, write it down, whatever it was. My integrity comes before my reputation. Uh, I want, we need to turn to this verse. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul is in a controversy and he says this, I care very little if I am judged by you. 
Petra, I care very little if I am judged by Johnny, I care very little if I am judged by you. How rude is that? How rude? How jolly rude. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. What's he saying here? He's saying, I don't care what the Pharisees think about me, what the Roman authorities think about me, what the circumcision party thinks about me, what you, the church in Corinth, think about me. This may sound like arrogance. In other words, Paul might be saying, I'm only interested in how I see things. I don't care what you think. I only care what I think. That's arrogance. I did it my way. You know, at every funeral. I did it my way. Oh, did you? Did you? How arrogant. How arrogant. Do we commend that? Oh, what a great guy. He did it his way. That's arrogance. Regret? I've had a few. Oh, really? Just a few? Mate, I've got a barrel load of regrets. What's wrong with you? So it can be arrogance. I don't care if I'm judged by you, but he goes on to say, but I don't even care what I think about myself. <laughs> I don't even care what I think about myself. My conscience is clear. In other words, I feel before God that I have done right. But it's not me that matters. It's not what you think. It's not what I think. It's what God thinks. My conscience might be absolutely wrong. You know, we are able to do things sometimes with a clear conscience that is totally out of order because our conscience needs calibrating. And the more you become a Christian, the more you walk with Jesus, your conscience gets constantly recalibrating. So as a Christian, you become a Christian, you become born again, and you say, well, I recognize that telling lies isn't right. So I'm not going to tell any more lies. But I don't have any problem with getting as much out of the tax man as I can and I will spin every situation, every which way, to try and pull the wool over that tax man's eyes. Because he just wants to steal my money. And I work hard for my money. And I don't have any conscience about it. No conscience whatsoever. Your conscience needs calibrated, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I recommend a book to you. It's not a long book. You can read it in two to three hours and it costs, I think, £2.99 on Kindle. So write it down. The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. 
It's written by uh, Timothy Keller, who's a, a main pastor in New York, main speaker. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. Listen what uh, Tim has to say about this verse that Paul is, is, is re- that we're referring to. Paul is saying that he has reached a place where his eagle draws no more attention to itself than any other part of his body. What he said is, you know, when you have something wrong with your foot, you've got a blister on your foot, you become, on your toe, you become very aware of your toe. Normally when you're walking, you don't pay any attention to your toe. But if it's got a blister, you pay attention to it. Do you get the idea? So uh, when you've got a headache, you become aware of of your head because you've got a headache. When there's something wrong with a bit of you, you recognize it. And he is saying those people who suffer in their ego are suffering because their ego is hurting them. And there's something wrong with their ego when it's hurting them. So Paul is saying he has reached a place where his ego draws no more attention to itself than any other part of his body. He has reached a place where he's not thinking about himself anymore. When he does something wrong or something good, he doesn't connect it to himself anymore. The idea, I've just won the 100 metres. I must be amazing. Or, I've just come last in the 100 metres. I'm useless. He doesn't perform these evaluations about himself in his ego. Uh, here's, Here's one who does. You might be surprised who this is. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended. And I guess it never will. That's Madonna. That's a quote from Madonna that comes from the book. Here's another quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seemed to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. 
Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself. I just feel there is a liberation for the person who catches these truths. So if you're inspired by that, do do get the book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. You can get a hard copy, old school copy on Amazon, or you can get a Kindle, have it like that. Easy peasy. Uh, Let's think about what Jesus said. Or rather what Paul says about Jesus. Who being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Here's the authorised version because it's better. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Jesus made himself. Uh, Philippians 2. Philippians 2 verses 6 and 7. He made himself of no reputation. You'll only get that phrase in the King James Version. And took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. You have a reputation for being alive. But you are dead. Now forget about your reputation. That's not going to help you. Don't try to start working to make a better reputation for yourself. Let your reputation go. What you need to do is you need to wake up and strengthen what remains. And I sense in this a slight desperation. Uh, In Thyatira, God said, Jesus said, hold on to the things you have. Now we know from reading the previous verses that Thyatira had a lot to hold on to. I know your deeds. Uh, I know your love. I know your faith. I know your service. I know your perseverance. Hold on. Thyatira, it feels, um, sorry, Sardis, it feels like has got next to nothing. You need to wake up strengthen the things that remain because they're about to die. You know when you've got a nice glowing log fire uh, when you're in one of these chalets that have got log burners and uh, and the thing's just about and you recognise, if I don't get another log on that, the fire is going to be too weak to actually set that log on fire. The fire might still be smouldering, but it's not got the energy to kindle another log. Strengthen what remains, because it's about to die. I hope none of you are in that situation. But if you are, hear me it's not too late it's not too late if you're worrying i'll tell you if you're worrying about it it's not too late if you couldn't care less it might be too late you know it's like the person who came well i've had more than one 
Ronnie, what's, what's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because I think I might have done it? And the person's really worried because the scripture says if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, how, how can you be saved? I'm really worried because I think I've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. And my answer is, if you're really worried, you haven't. Because the person who's really worried is operating under conviction. So the Holy Spirit's at work in their life. So what they need to do is strengthen the things that remain. So if you're worried, it's a good sign. Uh, let me just give you some scriptures. Romans 13 for Sandra, because she's writing it down. Romans 13, 11, 12. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So wake up. Jesus is coming. Wake up. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Maybe it's time to prophesy to the bones. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Come to life. Breathe on the bones. Let them rise up. Maybe it's time to stir up your gift. Is your gift nearly going out? You know, those of you that came and brought a word, you'll be more likely to bring a word next week. That's how it works. Bring it one week, you think, hey, I might bring it next week. Bring it next week, you think, hey, I'm going to bring it next week. And so forth. And then we will have a problem where we will have to sort of sort all the prophets out. That's what they had in Corinth. So he says, if one guy is prophesying, then Pam, you need to wait till Tracy sits down. Then you stand up. Oh, I can't wait. You'll have to wait. Amen. That's where we'll get to if we're not careful. Amen. <laughs> for this reason, 2 Timothy 1.6, 2 Timothy 1.6, for this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Fan it into flame. It's going out, Timothy. Fan it into flame. Okay, says Timothy, I'll pray about it. No, don't pray about it. I'm not asking you to pray about it. I'm asking you to fan it into flame. What's the best way to fan a prophetic gift? Just get up. Just get up. I don't know what I'm going to say. Well, worst comes to the worst. You come to the front. No, sorry, I don't have anything. And what we do, we'll all laugh at you. We'll say, oh, how courageous was that? How courageous was that? They came forward just waiting for God to bring a word. But you know, nine times out of 10, God will give you that word. He'll give you that word. You reach out for the interpretation of a tongue not knowing whether you've really got it or not. Just wait on God. Well, as uh, Angie Butler used to say, I've got a wee kind of a, a wee, she's Scottish like me, 
got a wee kind of a thing. I think I've got a wee kind of a thing here that God is maybe, it's just a wee sort of a, a wee sort of a thing. And then she would share it. <laughs> it's time to get the job done. Colossians 4.17. Archippus, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you've received in the Lord. Archippus, tell Archippus, get the job done. So there's the encouragement. We are not defined by our reputation. We are not consumed by building a reputation. We will not be directed by our reputation. We will listen to the Lord of the church and what he says. And that's the important thing. 